Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey everyone, The Last Laugh has got another bonus treat for you today. I recently sat in as a guest co-host with my Daily Beast colleagues Molly Jongfast and Rick Wilson on their podcast, The New Abnormal. We had a lot of fun talking to Ben Stiller about Donald Trump's Zoolander cameo, playing Michael Cohen on SNL, and a lot more. So please enjoy this special crossover episode. And if you're not already, make sure to subscribe to The New Abnormal. It is one of my absolute favorite podcasts right now, and you will not be disappointed. We'll be back on Tuesday with my talk with comedian and CNN host W. Kamau Bell. See you then. Hey, folks. Joining us today on The New Abnormal is Ben Stiller. He is not only a great guy who serves as a UN ambassador, but you might have seen him in a couple of movies here and there, like Zoolander, the greatest movie of all time, Tropic Thunder, and also Tropic Thunder, which is my favorite movie of all time in terms of comedies. And of course, Meet the Parents and a million other things. Ben, thank you so much for being with us today. Also joining us today is Matt Wilstein from The Last Laugh. Hey, guys. Hey, Matt. How's it going? So I have a lot of questions for you, but you've worked on and directed some of my favorite, favorite movies, but also you've done a lot of satire. And I'm curious, you once said that Trump is like a villain in a naked gun movie. Do you think it's harder to make art in a time of like preposterous politics? Well, honestly, I don't know if it's the politics as much as just the atmosphere of the political correctness now and everybody being afraid to say something that's offensive and, you know, rightfully so in most cases. But comedically, I think it's definitely challenging. I haven't been out there really doing it for a while in terms of movies or sketch comedy or anything like that. So I think it's much tougher now. And when I think about movies that I've worked on in the past and I look at them now, definitely there are jokes and scenes and things that I go, oh, I don't know if we could have gotten away with that today at all. Just so you know, we're both enormous Tropic Thunder <laughs> fans and it gets way too many references there were some jokes in there that would be hard to do in 2020, I guess, right? <laughs> yes, for sure. And I mean, I think it would have been just, it never would have gotten really approved probably just to be financed as a movie now, which, you know, I could understand contextually. And, but at the time, that's the thing to me that's so complicated about how we approach what's appropriate and what's not in terms of the time frame that it was made. It doesn't necessarily mean that anything was more appropriate at another time, but you have to look at the context and realize, well, that's what was happening. And so, but I watched things now through my daughter's eyes, who's 18 years old. And, you know, and she's very, very aware of things that are offensive and things to me that I'll go, oh, wait a minute, that's not okay. <laughs> and, and, and she's like, that's awful. That's horrible. And I'm like, oh yeah, I, I guess you're right. <laughs> Shit. And I see it, you know, but it's really, it's a totally different lens. And I think also, you know, you have to be able to draw the line somewhere. And that's the challenge for comedy people is, you know, where are you drawing the line and how can you still be able to make fun of what needs to be made fun of in terms of how people people react to things as human beings. Right. I guess it's that old phrase of, you'll know who's got power when you can't make fun of them. Yes. Uh-huh. I think what Molly asked was an interesting question. It's like, in this time of like a complete, he is like a comic opera villain in the White House. Yeah, it's so over the top now. It's just insane. 
I think it's really insane. I mean, it's very hard to parody. I mean, I think there are people out there who we see on Twitter and, and Instagram who are really funny, like Sarah Cooper, and who found ways to show how crazy it's gotten in terms of what is accepted. But Dutch comedy in particular right now, I think has a voice in terms of really being able to underline all of these, the hypocrisy too. But in terms of like being able to satirize and go over the top, it's pretty hard because it already is over the top. There's also like an underlying sort of sense of like, it's funny, but it's not funny too. Right, (laughs) right. Yeah. That's why I do think that shows like The Daily Show and, and political satire is so important right now. And I think that's where I think people are connecting is because it's a way to just kind of not only to vent, but also to show how crazy all this is and just to really step back and go, this is not normal. And and I guess the the sketch comedy stuff that would have been possible in this time is also the COVID stuff has just blown it all up in terms of being able to do things like SNL or other bigger format comedy things. These guys are all still doing their bits, but they're doing them from their webcam, their attics and stuff. Yeah, which is really interesting because I think you see how inventive people are and how funny people are anyway, even without all the trappings. And also, I think these comedians who've emerged on Twitter and Instagram who are doing their own thing, like Sarah, are are kind of having a a chance to really shine. It's like kind of more egalitarian in a way because people are able to kind of go to different places for comedy. I think Twitter for sure has definitely been a place to go for that. It's sometimes dark comedy on Twitter. (laughs) Yeah, well, I have a very very love-hate relationship with Twitter. I, I, I don't know. Like, I, Welcome to our hellscape. My friend the other day was saying he heard this term. Have you heard this term doom scrolling? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, basically what I think I do every day, which is like, you know, I get on Twitter and I start scrolling, looking at all the bad news and like looking for, you know, what's the next crazy thing that happened and what's this worst thing that happened with, with Trump and all of that. I mean, it's, I find myself falling into that, really. It is definitely an addictive thing, I think, on a certain level. It's watching a train wreck. I mean, you can't look away from it sometimes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I, I I think it's something we have to all look at in ourselves and figure out what is it? You know what, I mean? what is eating? But I still think it's better to be addicted to Twitter than it is to be addicted to Instagram because Instagram really does make you dumber. Whereas uh, Twitter... My only take on that is I feel that Instagram is a more personal thing, at least in my experience. So I actually have taken a break off of Instagram because I found that it was taking me to places in terms of checking in on things and people in ways that I somehow knew and, and and that wasn't taking me to a good place all the time. Or like, you know, seeing somebody having that amazing vacation and go like, why is my life not like that? But then the Twitter aspect is I find more kind of news oriented and maybe not any more positive in a negative sense, but it's a little bit less personal, I find. Hey, Ben, this is Matt Wilstein. Hey, Matt. I wanted to ask you with social media, I'm wondering, there's this funny thing that's happened going back to Tropic Thunder, where every once in a while, uh, it seems like people on Twitter will rediscover that Tropic Thunder exists and that Robert Downey Jr. is in it in blackface. I'm curious if you're aware of that and what your reaction to that has been because now we've seen there's these shows like 30 Rock that are pulling episodes down and other shows like Mad Men saying, no, we're not going to pull it down. So how do you kind of think about all of that now? It's complicated, really. Yes, I am aware of that. And I heard Downey was on, I think, Joe Rogan's podcast a while back talking about it. And, you know, for me, it's the context of it. I totally see, like, that's why I was saying, like, right now, today, Tropic Thunder probably would not have been made because it would be the atmosphere
atmosphere would just be, that would just feel wrong. It would be tone deaf right now to make it. But at the time we made it, it was very clear in terms of, for us, the idea behind that character was an actor. It was making fun of an actor who would go to any lengths to win an award. And for me, that was always the very clear idea behind it. Now, does that mean that necessarily now I would do it today? I probably wouldn't because I would know that the atmosphere today would be like, that would feel wrong. But at the time, it was very clear that that's what we were doing and felt okay to do it. Now, I'm not saying that that's okay to do for, that doesn't mean blackface is okay. Blackface is not okay, but it's probably never okay. So I have no leg to stand up and say, well, but that character's doing that. But for us, it was really clear that this is making fun of an actor who take on any character just so that he could win an award because actors are so self-involved. And I think when we were casting it, it was really clear to me that there were only a few actors who I think an audience would buy doing that and not find it offensive. And, you know, to be honest, when we made the movie, I took the movie to the the local NAACP chapter in LA and showed it to them because I wanted to get their feedback before we released the movie. And that went okay. And then what I got blindsided by was the Special Olympics came after me for playing Simple Jack in that game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I was so concerned about the reaction, oh. you know, of Robert playing that character that I wasn't even thinking about where we really got attacked, which I understood too from their point of view. But the, the bottom line is when, you know, you have to be clear what your point of view is when you're doing comedy that's edgy. And for me, it was always making fun of actors who would do anything to get more attention and to and to win awards. And so, but I also am totally sensitive to, you know, how people would react to it, react to it now. What would you want to see Biden do if he's elected? Do you have a sort of, you do this work with refugees, like what would you like to see? I literally just want to have a president that does what presidents do, doesn't speak in a way that intentionally divides the country, doesn't incite divisiveness. I mean, look, as a person, I could tell you my personal feelings about the president, but since I am a goodwill ambassador for the UNHCR, (laughs) I do hold back because the reality is it's really hard though. I find it really hard because I really do on so many levels feel that the president is taking us in completely the wrong direction as a country in a way that we've never, ever experienced. And it really bothers me when I see, especially watching my kids have to deal with this because I'm constantly having to explain to my 14-year-old son, like, this is not what a normal presidency is. This is not the way it usually happens. And the fact that these kids have kind of had to go through this and see the level to which we've kind of been drawn as a country in terms of the political divisiveness and, and just also the culture war that's going on. I just want a president that's going to be normal and that's going to restore unity and is going to support the ideals of what it means to be an American, which is equality and justice and not be constantly being political. And I think that's maybe it's a low bar, but I think right now that I think that so many people just want that. Ben, I have to ask you about the very long and strange relationship between Trump and Derek Zoolander, because I don't know if you remember... um... A couple of years ago, you sent me that audio of Trump reading the tweet where he says he's being like really smart and you read it as Zoolander. I loved that you did that. Actually, throughout my life, my two greatest assets have been mental stability and being like really smart. Crooked Hillary Clinton also played these cards very hard and as everyone knows, went down in flames. I went from very successful businessman to top TV star to president of the United States on my first try. I think that would qualify as not smart, but genius. 
and a very stable genius at that. He was actually in the original movie with Melania on the red carpet in that scene. So what do you remember about about his cameo in that film? Well, we were shooting at the now defunct VH1 Fashion Awards. (laughs) And that's where that scene took place. And so we shot at the real Fashion Awards. And basically, as people were coming up the red carpet, we pulled them aside and asked them to talk about Derek Zoolander. And so Trump and Melania did that. There were so many movies that had like a silly cameo from Donald Trump in them. He became sort of like a... Home Alone. Yeah, it's like kind of like a thing. You get Donald Trump, he represented a certain thing. I've had people who reached out to me and said, like, you should edit Donald Trump out of Zoolander and all that. But at the end of the day, it's kind of like, again, that was a time when that exists and that happened. You know, there's a funny story that Chris Matthews told, though, about that he was interviewing and he kept on telling the story on the air. He was interviewing Trump during the campaign. He told it a few times, which was that he was interviewing Trump during the campaign and there was a commercial break and Zoolander 2 had come out and Zoolander 2 was a big bomb and didn't do well and Trump started talking to him during the commercial break they were talking about like nuclear arms or something or what his stance would be with the Russians and then they got to the commercial break and Trump brought up Zoolander <laughs> 2 to Chris during the break and started talking about why he thought the movie didn't do well and he started going into detail with him about you know it's not that the movie wasn't that funny it's just that in the culture people don't care about male models anymore and so the audience has <laughs> changed and, and Chris found it so interesting that he was so fascinated about why Zoolander 2 didn't do well, as opposed to <laughs> what did he do with the Russians and nuclear arms proliferation? I'm shocked that he didn't think it didn't do well because he wasn't in it. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I'm, I'm sure he, yeah, that might have been part of it in his thought process, too. And anyway, Chris told it a couple of times on the air, and of course, it was so, for me, uh, having to have, go through the movie coming out and not doing well, I finally sent Chris an email saying, can you please stop telling the story about how bad Zoolander 2 did? <laughs> it's hilarious and yet terrifying. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I do think like he is obsessed with pop culture. I mean, everybody has their own theories about whether why he wants to be president and whether or not he still wants to be president. But I think it's gone so far now where people's lives are being affected. And really, to me, it's not funny anymore. It's kind of just like it's a little bit insane. Oh, no question. Yeah. You know, and, and but and just on the UNHCR front for me, you know, what, what I'm involved in a lot, and I've gone and talked to Congress about it, too, you know, is trying to change the U.S.'s attitude on resettlement for refugees because under this administration, it's been turned down to the lowest level it's ever been. And I think, you know, what's more concerning to me is the rhetoric that's used by the president and really echoing other leaders across around the world that that this anti-refugee rhetoric that really turns them into this sort of like feared other. And I think that's to me is the most concerning thing of all, because it really does affect people's lives in a very real way. I think you're right. And I go back to that. We talked about New York a little while ago, but it's also what America was. We were this proposition nation. Anybody could come here. Anybody could adopt this country and become us. And that seems like that's in the past. Yeah. And also that's who we all are. I mean, that's what the, the country is made up of, unless you're a Native American and we all came here at one point or another. There's just that reality and the reality that refugees are so contribute so much to the country and to any country they go to and come to in, in terms of economy and, and all of that. And there's so many positive stories. And so, you know, there's just like a feeling now. And by the way, when I reach out to people, like sometimes I'll engage people on Twitter about that stuff. If you've got the snarky comment about refugees, and when I start to engage people one-on-one, I usually find that very quickly it becomes very friendly and human. And a lot of times it's because they appreciate that you're actually acknowledging them. But I think there's also this reality that we as people are good and want to do good. And But when we're pushed to that fear place, that then people sort of like your hackles go up. And I think that's my concern is that when you see the president retweeting images of people being mean to each other 
or people with guns on their lawn, no matter what you feel about it. It's just there's nothing positive about that. It's a tone problem for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Ben, since you've been doing so much drama recently, was there a fun release in getting to do those live shows on, on SNL as Michael Cohen? You ended up doing like five of them, right? <laughs> yeah. And you know, when you get the call from Lauren to do it, you have to show up and do it, right? So I, <laughs> yeah, I, at true. first it was like, I hadn't done a live show for a long time. There's something about doing SNL that's really, really fun. And it's also really, really scary because it's just the reality of live television. And also you, it's SNL, so you want it to be good. The process on doing that show is so crazy because it's being rewritten to the last possible second. And and then there was the reality of Michael Cohen. And so I'd be watching in the news as everything would be going down with him and going, oh, like, you know, something would happen during the week. I'm like, I'm going to get the call on Friday. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, yeah. I'd be like, I think I'm going to be busy this weekend. Well, yeah, you're lucky the show isn't on now because he just got sent home from prison. So that could have been a sketch. Yes. No, I know. And it was fun to do. I mean, I also I really admire those people who are great at live performing, you know, like the Kate McKinnons and, and Will Ferrell and people who are just so, it's just like, it's a real art form to be able to nail it in that after you've done the dress rehearsal, because they do a dress rehearsal before the show, which is also almost like doing the show for real with a real audience. And then if, if it goes well in the dress rehearsal, you kind of have this feel like, oh, that was great. We did it. And then it's like, no, we haven't actually done it. Now we have to really do it. For real. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a really interesting process uh, to be able to kind of figure out how to deliver at that moment. And which I don't personally feel like that's not something that I do that well, but I that's I love making movies. I love having multiple takes and you can kind of like tell yourself, well, I might use this take, I might use that take, but I don't have to decide for six months. And then, you know, live television is just like you have to nail it right there. And you got to reunite with your old friend, Robert De Niro. Yes, that was really fun. First of all, people love Robert De Niro. So if you're in a sketch with Robert De Niro, you know, <laughs> you know when he comes on. I mean, like, no pressure, no pressure. <laughs> no, but it's great because he's so great and so beloved. And, and also, I love how outspoken he is about how he feels about what's going on right now. When he just shows up, he doesn't have to do anything. I remember when we did that first sketch, you know, when they revealed him on camera, the ovation lasted for like a minute or something, you know? So it's great because, and with Bob, it's just fun because you're never not happy to be in a scene with Robert De Niro. It's never or not, you know, exciting for me. So even with COVID, what are you working on? Well, <laughs> I was about to do a series for Apple that we were about four or five weeks from shooting that I was directing and producing. And I guess we're still working on that, trying to figure out how to go back to that because people are starting to talk about working again now pretty seriously. I've been really enjoying, though, having time, being lucky enough to be able to hang at home and spend time with my family and not have to go out and be kind of working all the time. I'm fortunate, as we know, most people people you know, who are affected by this, the positive aspect for people who are able to not have to worry about their income is that you know there's a lot more time to connect with people that you don't necessarily, uh, you know, you don't spend that time doing when you're in the flow of life. So I'm you know working on a couple of scripts, developing stuff as a director, and I've really kind of gotten into this rhythm of, I spent a lot of time in my life uh, working, especially, I guess like the last maybe like three or four or five years, a little bit less, but my daughter just graduated high school and my son just finished eighth grade. And so like kind of being, it's been such a weird experience for these kids having to go through this, especially the kids graduating high school, because all of a sudden it was this time when they're supposed to be sort of having that senior year where you can just finally kind of like relax and celebrate it all. And then it's just sort of like we're in this world where we as parents don't even know what to say. I don't know what to say to them in terms of like, well, you know, it's going to be okay and we're going to get through this, which I believe we will, but we don't know when and we don't know how. Also, as we watch the news and read Twitter. 
<laughs> We're all going to die. And see the, the sort of like watch the graph. It can be tough to figure out how to guide your kids through it, let alone just guiding your kids in a normal world, too. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.